We'll hear argument now in number 00949, George W. Bush and Richard Cheney versus Albert Gore at Al. Uh, before we begin the Hey, everyone. I'm Leon Nafok, co-creator of Slow Burn and Fiasco. I'm here to introduce 5 to 4, a weekly Supreme Court podcast featuring America's most uncivil lawyers. On today's show, your hosts Peter, Rhiannon, and Michael are talking about a case that decided a presidential election. Bush v. Gore. The story starts on election night 2000, when Americans went to bed not knowing which candidate had won, because the vote in Florida was too close to call. A vote so close that under Florida law, it must be recounted. The Gore campaign, they will fight this issue of the Florida ballot until every vote is clear. In the end, the Supreme Court effectively handed the presidency to George W. Bush. The ruling strikes down the Florida Supreme Court recount plan as unconstitutional. This is 5 to 4, a podcast about how much the Supreme Court sucks. Welcome to the inaugural episode of 5 to 4, a podcast about how much the Supreme Court sucks. And the only Supreme Court podcast without a pending Title IX investigation. <laughs> That's right. Very proud of that. We are. <laughs> e- each episode, we're going to dissect one of the many Supreme Court decisions that make all of our lives just a little bit worse every single day. And today is a big one. Bush v. Gore, uh, maybe the most shameless decision in Supreme Court history. But before we really dig in, we want to kind of go around the room, talk about who we are, why we're doing this, and how much we're getting paid. Uh, I am Peter. <laughs> Better known on Twitter, at least, as the law boy. The world's daintiest lawyer. America's daintiest lawyer. No. <laughs> there, there might be some no, daintier lawyers. No, there might. In, in, there are others, yeah. Uh, and I go to work, and I instead of working, I think of tweets uh, <laughs> about the law and politics. <laughs> Michael? <laughs> sure. Yeah. I'm Michael. I am a f- reformed corporate attorney um, and former election lawyer, and now I'm... Uh, Doing bigger and better things like podcasts. Podcasts, that's right. And I'm Rhiannon, and I do public defense work in the South. Okay, well, there's no need to get like uh, showy. You know, <laughs> we understand that wow. you're the only one who's a real lawyer. So, somebody's putting her degree to work <laughs> to make the world a better place. <laughs> but so we wanted to do this podcast for a few reasons. I think. Both the public and the legal profession have bestowed upon the Supreme Court a completely unearned and undeserved reverence. And there's an illusion that it's apolitical and independent and generally sort of above the fray, when in reality it is deeply political, deeply ideological, and always has been. And the result of this reverence is an institution that takes itself so seriously that Supreme Court justices wear their robes in public just for no reason at all. <laughs> like, if you watch the State of the Union, they're all just sitting there in robes. Like, they're just like a completely different kind of person than anyone else. <laughs> wear a fucking suit like a normal person. Yeah, imagine wearing your work uniform anywhere other than like when you're well, first at of all, work. you have to imagine like... that your fucking work uniform is a robe. <laughs> Is it is a black dress? <laughs> You're a judge, okay? You're not like a, a a deity. Just like roll over to fucking Brooks Brothers and do what we all do. Um, anyway, why why did you guys want to do it? <laughs> For me, when I read these opinions um, in, in the law, generally, I feel like 
there's a, a subtle or maybe not so subtle gatekeeping aspect that goes on, which is they are just laden um, with like jargon and citations that really are impossible to understand unless you've been trained on them. Latin terms, all sorts of legal terms of art. And it gives them sort of an air of legitimacy where a layman trying to understand what's going on would just be like not even understand where to start. The first time I tried to read a Supreme Court opinion start to finish in law school, I spent like 10 minutes reading something and being like, this is so weird. This is not like the case books. And it was the syllabus, which I didn't even know was a thing that existed. Right. And it's not a part of the formal opinion. As a law student, I had no idea what I was doing and how to work my way through it. So if we want to do uh, what we're setting out to do, which is show everyone how much bullshit this all is, uh, an important part of it is stripping away all the finery. That adorns yeah, like these. the robes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, no, I really like that framing of like the, this mythos and this idea that this stuff isn't accessible to the layman. Um, you know, it, it serves everybody's career interests and, and keeps those people kind of in power. There's just this idea that the Supreme Court is a group of nine sage, unbiased legal titans, right? That they have these special knowledge and skills, they answer legal questions for the whole country, and they do it objectively. So famously, Chief Justice John Roberts, during his confirmation hearings, he says, right, that like, uh, I view the role of the judge on the Supreme Court as an umpire, and we just call balls and strikes, right? right? When actually what the Supreme Court does is ideological, judicial lawmaking all of the time, and I think hopefully in the in the podcast, yeah. we can kind of demystify that process a little bit and expose those contradictions. Yeah. And show everyone that nine justices that compose the Supreme Court are not the smartest people in the country. No, we are. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we wanted to start with Bush v. Gore, because I think it's the case that embodies the central thesis of this show, which is that the Supreme Court is driven by politics and ideology first and foremost. And there is no greater representation of that than Bush v. Gore, uh, a case in which the five Republican justices on the court tied themselves into knots to hand the election to George W. Bush. It's 2000. You know, the, the 90s have been pretty good to everyone. And you have this sort of common election archetype of the boring guy, Al Gore, versus the idiot, George W. Bush. And it's like, it's a very common type of election in America, and uh, it is a huge advantage to the idiot. That's right, yeah. But the one thing I'll also say is that Bush was dumb in a way that now seems like very quaint, right? right. Where like, he would say a word wrong. He would say strategery instead of strategy. And people were like, oh my God, can this man really be president? And that just seems so distant in a world where we have Trump, who's just like a character you forgot about in The Sims, just <laughs> wandering from room to room with like a thought bubble with a picture of a hamburger in it above his head, just like has never had a thought that was not a reaction to direct physical stimulus. Nowadays, I yearn for a president whose like biggest issue is that he says like nuclear, 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 which, by the way, is how pretty much everyone right. said it. I feel like. Like they, that was like the first time most people learned how to pronounce that word. <laughs> yeah, people were like, wait, 
wait. <laughs> so, Re, we should let's start talking yeah, law. All right. Sure. Well, what happens? Yeah. yeah. No. Before we get to the law, I want to be clear that I was on November seventh, two thousand. I was twelve years old. I had uh, just shaved my head. Um, I am in mm-hmm. sixth or seventh grade. Uh, Palestinian. Nice small little olive in uh, suburban Texas on election night. Did you guys do this uh, when you were younger? Is like you color in the map, the states, you color it blue or red for whoever yeah. it goes no, I for. I still do that. Yep. And so I... I, I, I smoked <laughs> way too much pot. My, my memory is very vague. I, I can't overstate how important it was to me at that time that I was a good student. And so it it fucked with me. It traumatized me that like I had done red and then blue on Florida. And I just thought like, you know what? I, I failed this assignment. I, I fucked up. So <laughs> yeah. it was it was really traumatic. Um, yeah. So all the major networks that night, they called Florida for gore. A big call to make. CNN announces that we call Florida in the Al Gore column. We're going to now project an important win for Vice President Al Gore. NBC News projects that he wins the 25 electoral votes in the state. But then retractions started um, at around 10 p.m. We now believe the state of Florida is too close to call. That's weird. We and most other news services had called it for Mr. Gore. The network starts switching their calls to Bush. Bush. Now projects George W. Bush, the winner in Florida, and thus it appears the winner of the presidency of the United States. And then by morning, people wake up and it's it's undecided. If you take 25 votes away from Al Gore and put it in the undecided column, and should they break for Bush? On November 8th, the next day, the Florida's Division of Elections, they say that Bush won by a really small margin. Um, it's like 1,700 votes, which is less than the 0.5 percent, which which means basically that a mandatory recount is triggered. And by November 10th, the machine recounts have brought that lead down to like around 300 votes. So um, <laughs> this is so, such a shit show, dude. Right, right. It's it's a fucking mess, is what it is. Um, yeah, yeah. And Gore requests uh, manual recounts in four counties, and the shit show just gets more intense from there. In Palm Beach County, for example, um, ten thousand ballots were were set aside because they recorded no vote for president at all. In uh, Volusia County, they record Gore receiving negative 16,000 votes. So it's just kind of, it's like, what the yeah. fuck is that? turned out on? not to be an error. So, <laughs> that, was, that was just, he's not that popular in Volusia. <laughs> Even as like a child, like a teenager witnessing this was just like peeking under the, the veil of American politics and seeing like this horrible writhing mess beneath where like, Everything was deeply corrupt and inaccurate and full of just like human error and uh, and dark motivations. And like it was just the first time I think that a light had been shined on this part of the system. Right. And it was like deeply unsettling to everyone. I was 18 at this time and I lived in Fort Lauderdale in Broward County, which was sort of ground zero for all of this. It was one of the four counties that were supposed to do a manual recount along with Miami-Dade and a couple others. Miami-Dade, Broward, Palm Beach, and Volusia, each with more registered Democrats. I voted in the election, so I do not know if my vote was actually ever counted. And there were just like bizarre protests and it, it was all anybody talked about. And it's hard to really like explain what it's like to have that be your first 
electoral experience. Even before all the election shenanigans, there was like the 50,000 voters that got purged from the Florida voter rolls because, you know, they're supposedly felons. But it turns out a lot of them weren't felons and maybe misdemeanors, maybe no crime at all. And they're all black or Hispanic. And, you know, one estimate says that cost Gore 5,000 votes in an election he lost by 300 votes. Right. Like a lot of the madness is just inevitable and organic. And, you know, there's a lot of tension because people don't really know what's going to happen. And But some of it was just this manufactured bullshit, most famously the uh, quote unquote Brooks Brothers riot. I have a I have a question. Mm hmm. What's a what is a Brooks it's like a Brothers? menswear store? Um, <laughs> I knew the question immediately. Um, yeah, it's just a suiting, it's a, a suiting store. Like yeah, they, they make like... no. It's just um, it's like your standard bear mid range, like mid to low range. Like the you first you go to men's warehouse and then you realize that that's not nice enough for right. your uh, fancy. You don't job. actually like the way you look. Yeah. <laughs> and so and then you go to Brooks Brothers to pay like $700 for a suit that um, some fucking idiot sells you. And then like. Great. So, and, and so the, the riot happens there. Yeah, that's not. That's not, not. It's not at Brooks Brothers. It's. Uh, <laughs> right, right. The Brooks Brothers was unscathed, <laughs> thankfully. Um, <laughs> basically, what happened was in Miami-Dade, there were these uh, 10,000 or so ballots. Um Undervotes, right? These ballots that hadn't recorded votes, and, and we're getting close to one of the deadlines here. And Miami Dade is concerned about being able to recount all the votes, so they say, "Well, we're going to look at these ten thousand ballots." Um, and they kind of retire to a smaller room so they can segregate them out and start uh, manually um, assessing each ballot. And there was a lot of concern that th- there would be enough votes for Gore in this in this batch to change the outcome of the election. So Republicans flew in all these like 40 to 50 year old lawyers. Of course, they're like almost all lawyers. And when we say Republican, like the actual Republican Party in D.C. Right. No, this is like, yeah, this is like Roger Stone, who's like, you know, a fucking Republican rat fucker back into the 70s, you know, Nixon guy and uh, he's the one with the nixon tattoo um, right that's right that's correct yeah. got it yep. <laughs> yeah dresses like a, a like a villain in who framed roger rabbit yeah. um, <laughs> um uh, it's all republican aides and lawyers who fly in they're all on their like blackberries they're all in their fancy suits uh protesting and they get violent they they're like punching people uh someone from the dnc is like literally assaulted <laughs> um, and uh, and they and they succeed. They shut down this recount like two yeah. hours after they get fucking Which crazy. Is very important to note that this is the only successful riot in American history. <laughs> every every time that like so, like someone is protesting like police violence or whatever, they just get fucking wiped out with tear gas. But fucking fifty Republican lawyers show up in Miami Dade, and they're like, well. Whatever they, want, whatever they want, whatever they want, just let us know. Yeah. Well, and all they uh, had let's to do immediately was, capitulate. All they had to do was act exactly how they do with their wives, and you know, got got their way. So, oh shit, Jesus! But you know, I think it's good to talk about the riot because it it's a good preview for the next twenty years of of Republican politics. 
um, and the way they treat like elections generally and Democrats and the idea that, you know, any Democratic efforts at like getting votes counted are illegitimate yeah. and fraudulent right. and they can take whatever means, you know, necessary in their hands to shut that down. All they got to do, all they want to do is win elections. So they don't, they don't right. give a shit. And maybe the most like emblematic aspect of how um, on its face corrupt the entire process was is Catherine Harris, who <laughs> yes. is the Florida Secretary of State. Yep. And in her role as the Florida Secretary of State is responsible for oversight of the elections and the certification of the results. But she's also the co-chair of Bush's campaign in Florida. And if you want to understand like what type of person she is, I think that she's another type of important uh, American political archetype, which is, um, you know, there are, are movies about where the protagonist is like a mother and the antagonist is a woman who is extremely mean and um, through sheer belligerence and force of will dominates the local PTA. <laughs> you sure. guys know what yeah. I mean? Yep. Yes. And she wears like a little too much makeup and um, you're like, she just seems like a force of nature, just plowing through um, everything in front of her to uh, to get whatever she wants and uh, at the expense of the children. Uh, <laughs> right. Which is why this, and I think this, this archetype was made famous a few years later with Sarah Palin, who's like the real uh, embodiment of it. And then you had a couple others like Michelle Bachman. Uh, and, but, you know, I think Catherine Harris is the first time PTA mom was was like on the political scene in American in American life. So she was the one that oversaw the purging of the voter rolls. Right. On the on the grounds that they were ostensibly felons, even though maybe not. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, and, you know, and she's the one that sort of starts over like is like in charge of the oversight of this process and was just nakedly corrupt and favoring bush at every single step like not even trying a little bit to hide it right which i mean you know her boss was bush's brother yeah that's <laughs> and they and they're both you know republican yeah, yeah minor minor phone. point governor right. of florida fucking jeb bush <laughs> right. <Jesus Christ. laughs> all right at the time um florida law required that votes be certified within seven days of the election so um the florida circuit court ruled that um counties had to certify their their results but they could amend at a later date um at the secretary of state Catherine Harris's discretion. Um, so what happened was she issued criteria for these late filings, and she asked that the counties that were late in filing, that they provide their justifications for why they were late. <laughs> that sounds fair. Yeah. No. Well, she proceeded to reject them all outright and declare that she's going to certify the results the next day anyway. Florida's Secretary of State, Catherine Harris, has announced that she is rejecting any further efforts. The reasons given in their requests are insufficient to warrant waiver of the unambiguous filing deadline. Oh, well, Florida okay. Everything's above board, guys. It's her, look, it's her prerogative, so. Right. <laughs> yep. So, okay, the Florida Supreme Court is then like, uh, wait a minute. Um, they step in and they enjoin her from certifying those results, which allows the, the, the recounts to continue. Republicans, of course, are pissed. Um, and... On December 8th, um, following a, a bunch of legal, more legal bullshit, the Florida Supreme Court ordered a statewide manual recount. Yeah. And then that's where Bush petitions the Supreme Court 
um, not for the first time during this case, but for the first time that really matters, I think, um, to stay the recount. And to halt the recount in this case, what you need to do is show that if it proceeded, you would be irreparably harmed, right? Right. Which is usually like, you know, a good example of irreparable harm is like someone is about to destroy like priceless antiques. <laughs> right. <laughs> they literally, literally like cannot be replaced, uh, you know, and not uh, subject to any monetary value. Uh, and a court might be like, all right, don't do that because if you do it, we can't reverse it. Right. right? That's the whole point. So Supreme Court grants it. Despite the fact that there's almost no question that there's no real irreparable harm of allowing the con- the recount to continue, the dissent in that case, which goes five to four, uh, conser- you know, Republicans versus Democrats essentially, says how can counting every vote be irreparable harm? And uh, the retort from the majority is, well, no, no, that that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is that if you accidentally count illegal votes, right, non-legal votes, right. that would be irreparable harm. But doesn't make any sense at all. Right. What, you could just let let it continue. And then if you want to impose standards on it after the fact or scrap the whole thing, right. you could easily do that. It's the definition of reparable harm. Right. You could right. just exactly. say, no, actually, votes that are just dimples and not punched out chads don't count. And they're all subtracted from the totals. And that's it. You know? After this happens, it seems pretty clear how the whole thing's about to shake out, right? Right, Because you still have the main case that essentially decides whether a recount um, will eventually continue. Um, that's coming up in a couple days. Uh, and now that this has gone five to four, it seems pretty clear that that's going to go five to four, too. Right. Um, so uh, I've been thinking about this. And the one thought I had about, like, why issue the stay that makes the most sense to me is, is this. You know, at one point, the margin was like 1,700 votes. That came all the way down to like 320 votes or whatever. Yeah. And if you're sitting there saying, well, in four days, we're going to say this recount is a no-go. The last thing you want is in between now and then for the results to switch. Right? You'd much rather right. be affirming a very thin lead for Bush than saying, well, that's actually. That's exactly why they did it. Right. Because right. right. Bush had the lead. So imagine you're a conservative justice who just so happens to uh, <laughs> to have one goal, and that's electing a Republican president. Right. Um, what would you do? Bush has the lead now. You can't risk it. You halt it right now. Right. And then whatever decision you eventually make will be made under the presumption that Bush is the de facto winner. Right. So that that's sort of where their head's at with the stay, I think, pretty clearly. You know, they need to essentially find a reason to invalidate the recount, but also need to find a reason that the recount can't be restarted or redone. And that's kind of a problem, because if there's a problem with the recount, the obvious solution is to just fix it and right. count the votes. So how they do this is there are two pieces to it. One is they talk about the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. And and they need to do this because also these are all state laws. um, And so they really don't have any place to be weighing in on this in any event. So they need to find a federal hook. So the federal constitution says uh, all the citizens are, are guaranteed equal protection under the law. And the Supreme Court says, well, look, if you count votes one way in one county and you recount them Another way in another county. That doesn't sound very equal to me. Right. Right. Which Which is is completely wrong and just flies in the face of how elections are done. (laughs) Right. When we're talking about different standards being used in different counties. So during the recount, it's looking at the, the voter 
I guess, is it a punch card, Michael? Like you, It depends, but there's some that were punch cards. Right. Yeah. The Supreme Court is now looking at this and saying, uh, during this recount, different counties are applying different standards to what they're saying is a vote or is not a vote for a certain candidate. So if something is, you know, partially punched through or there's a hanging chad or a dimple, there aren't uniform standards across the state um, for how we're counting these votes. And the thing is, is that's how all elections are working. Right. <laughs> right. Well, but the the weird thing about this is that, like, it's not the craziest argument that, you know, there are different standards for how you count uh, votes across different counties. Is that a violation of equal protection? The point, though, is that if it is, then every presidential election in U.S. history right. has been invalid under the equal protection clause. Right. <laughs> right. And the majority has like a very kind of weird uh, situation on their hands where they found they need to find this equal protection violation, but you need to get around the obvious implications of it, which are that all elections are invalid under the equal protection clause, at least all federal elections, any federal election I could think of, maybe outside of House uh, right. uh, elections. And how do they do that? They do that just by putting in a paragraph that says, by the way, um, this doesn't apply. This doesn't count. to anywhere else. <laughs> they really and so they really do this. They say, well, this like is only applicable to this election. This recount right now right. doesn't apply anywhere else, which is a absurd. And b I don't even recognize their right to do. Right. I don't think that a court can say, um, oh. Uh, Ignore the implications of my reasoning and just limit it to this. If you can't tighten the reasoning so that it's only applicable to this situation, then you have to deal with the consequences of that. And the Supreme Court – and in the opinion, they give a lot of um, attention and energy to this idea that like, you know, you don't really have an individual right to vote in this country under the federal constitution until the state vests this power in the people, which is to say that – They they actually – they lead off with that. Yeah. They set these standards. That there's no constitutional right to vote, which is true. And it I, it always cracks me up whenever you do it, read a voting rights case because you have to lead off with like, first of all, uh, FYI, there's like no constitutional right to vote. Surprise. And, like, which I know and I think every law student knows. <laughs> but like, right. I think that if you asked the average person if there is a right to vote under the Constitution, they'd be like, well, yeah, of course, that's like the building, right. the, the the cornerstone of our democracy. That's fucking Actually, America. Actually, no, motherfucker. Right. Fucking Thomas Jefferson <laughs> thought you were an idiot. Right. right. And, and, they, <laughs> and they, they were like, oh, instead, like you know the state will appoint like uh you know whatever 37 monocled uh freaks <laughs> right. to uh to, make to, these to, decisions. to yeah. decide what's best for the state and so this you know the courts have jumped through hoops to sort of create um what is now functionally a constitutional right to vote but doesn't really exist in the constitution itself and, and part of the background for that by the way is that like the you know there were there were talks around this time that the Florida legislature they would just declare Bush the winner. Right. The recount be damned. The Florida Supreme Court be damned. They'll just like pass a law that says Bush won and then they'll send Bush electors to the Electoral College and that'll be that. And, and I think that this was a little bit of like the Supreme Court being like, well, you know, you know that that's constitutional if they want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> just, just yeah. So I think you know. so. Right. That's right. what they wanted to do. So they've that's how they invalidate the recount. Right. right. That's step one. You you find this um, bullshit equal protection argument. Right. Um, but now you're, you still have the second problem, 
which is how do you utilize a reasoning that prevents the recount from being restarted or um, redone, you know. Um, that's the obvious answer to that, which right. is like still let's right. get all the votes counted and find out who won. You exactly. have a constitutional violation. How do you fix it? Right? right. So that's the question. And they answer it by saying you can't fix it by using this uh, obscure safe harbor provision, um, which states that if your electors are submitted by December 12th, 2000, they are guaranteed to be counted by Congress. And by the way, this opinion is issued on December 12th. Right. Uh, this this law, this federal law, this obscure law, basically says, you know, if you don't want the results of your election to be challenged by, you know, by Congress, they just need to be submitted by this date. If you do it after that, then Congress can technically intervene, although in reality, I think they never it would, would. It would be bizarre. I think it's actually important to note, too, that like the using that this safe harbor provision, it's not essential. It doesn't apply to everybody in the year 2000. Yeah, 24 most states, states don't, use don't even use it. And the question here is... Does Florida care more about the safe harbor provision, right. which is relevant once a century, <laughs> right. or about an accurate count of the votes of their constituents right. for president? It, you know, it's a rhetorical question <laughs> when I say it. <laughs> right. <laughs> but for the Supreme Not everyone Court. views it like that. Right. And just to highlight like how kind of shoddy the reasoning is in this opinion. Number one, first of all, it's per curiam, which I don't think we have we've mentioned, which means um, no one justice is uh, putting his or her name right. on it to say I wrote yeah. this opinion. The way that they put, would put per curiam is to say that it's like the opinion of the court. But the way that I would view it as is a uh, unsigned. <laughs> right. That's how I would view it. Yeah. Exactly. Cowards. Right. Exactly. And so you automatically start to question why it's per curiam. It's because nobody wants to put their name on it. And then number two, just the language is facially it's ridiculous. So there's a quote here. It is obvious that the recount cannot be conducted in compliance with the requirements of equal protection and due process without substantial additional work. Okay. I literally wrote LOL. Like, okay, so work <laughs> yeah, at do it the then. additional like, work. Figure it the fuck We're out. We're electing the fucking right, president. Right. I do have to say, I have some sympathy <laughs> right. for just being like, ooh, this is too much. I <laughs> I do this at work all the time, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. where it's like, you, like you see there's a big project yeah. where people are like, we have this big important goal. And I'm like, ooh. <laughs> wow. I don't know about this, guys. <laughs> right. I yeah, think yes. that, that deadline seems way yeah. too soon. Right. Scalia looked at this and wants a nap. Well, and so always did. Like, the, the, the way I saw this <laughs> framed, the safe harbor thing was like, would you want to submit the actual winner's electors open to challenge versus possibly su- submitting the actual loser's electors not open to challenge? Right. And the Supreme Court was like, clearly... It's the loser's electors not open to challenge <laughs> right. that Florida wants here. Right. For sure. We're divining the the will of Florida's legislature. No need to here. ask the Florida Supreme Court who has already disagreed with us. <laughs> right. On this very point. On this very point. Yeah. I mean, it's the whole thing is treating the convenience of the safe harbor provision, right, which like protects the integrity of the state's electors or some stupid shit that didn't, hasn't mattered in 100 years like that um, as more important than the constitutional guarantee exactly. of equal protection. Right. Now – the reason they're doing this is because they don't actually care about the constitutional guarantee of equal protection. They don't think it's an act of violation of equal protection. They just are, again, like just twisting it every way they can to make sure that A, Bush wins and B, there's no way, you know, that, that it can be like changed or reversed or anything. Right. Right. Uh, I mean, they're, they're saying that they understand Florida law better than the Florida Supreme Court. Right. Um, they're saying all types of shit like that. And the other thing about this is that they're saying, by the way, there's no... 
time for a recount, right? We're out of time. But they just stayed the fucking recount three days before. Right. right. They're, so they're like, all right, first of all, you have to stop. And then three days later, they're like, oh, my God, you're out of time. <laughs> <What? laughs> There's the deadline. Shit. Yeah. What the hell? Holy shit, guys. Did you guys know that there was – you're out of time? Like, I was looking at my watch, and then I realized you're out of time as we're writing this. It's crazy. Anyway, good luck. Good luck in the next election, motherfuckers. <laughs> it's just – it's so blatant. It, it makes me so angry. It's it's <laughs> so. one of the it's it's incredibly brazen. Yeah, yeah, I think a big takeaway is that like the Supreme Court doesn't have to be doing this at all. In right. elections, states and localities are setting these standards all the time. They're working through it. Florida has this recount problem. They're setting standards. The Florida Supreme Court is working on it. The legislature is into it, and then uh, the U.S. Supreme Court comes in here and says, "No, just fucking stop." Right. Yeah. The Florida Supreme Court gave some pretty clear direction based on the Florida Constitution that like they wanted the votes counted and they said that's what the Florida Constitution called for and and this is all state law the mechanics of their elections it's very complicated and it's not obvious why the Supreme Court is butting in here. Well, well, it's obvious. It is obvious. It is yeah. obvious. Yeah. It's, it's political, <laughs> yes. right? I mean, it's not obvious what the actual reason no, would be if you were to formulate a real one. legally obvious, right. but right. politically <laughs> it's painfully obvious. Yeah, yeah. Right. And the petition from Bush's lawyers, that comes first to Justice Kennedy, right? He's the one that brings it to conference. Like, that sounds like a section of the Wikipedia that you read that I didn't read. Right. So, uh, <laughs> let it rip, Yeah, go for it. <laughs> um, Kennedy is the one who brings it to conference. Uh, justices like Antonin Scalia think, yes, the Supreme Court has to step in here. And, um, you know, justices right. like oh Stevens. Oh, my God, he wants and, to so bad. Right. Imagine Scalia, when it first became clear that they had the option of intervening. <laughs> just the fucking sheer joy. Raging boner for this him. case. He... Raging three interruptions. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the thing is that even if you try to be generous to these guys and be like, well, look, maybe they're just going on their intuitions. Like, it's totally backwards. All the justices who want to weigh in here and, and overrule the Florida courts generally their intuitions are that uh, the federal court should stay out of state business, yeah. right? That's their... Yeah, that's the other thing is like the conservatives on the court constantly, like when the federal government's trying to expand minority rights or something, right. the conservatives will step in and be like, ooh, 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 state issue. Sorry. Like we would <laughs> right. love to, right. but right. this is actually all the states. Uh, sorry, you can't uh, fuck around with this at all because you're the feds. And then here, all of a sudden, they have zero respect. I'm sympathetic to your argument that black people are full people. But, <laughs> right. you know, I really Unfortunately, just South Carolina is not. <laughs> right. And I don't think it's our place. I don't think so. But uh, here we have very strong opinions on whether or not a dimpled ballot versus a half-hanging Chad ballot should be counted. And so I just I want to say, like, we're, we're sitting here and we're sort of divining ill intent from the strained reasoning here. And I don't think that's hard. I don't think it's a stretch. I think it's like blatantly obvious. But I, I also want to say, like, I know someone who clerked on the Supreme Court and at the end of... la da Michael. la da Oh, look who has friends <laughs> oh, in high I actually, I've got, <laughs> yeah. I've got a friend who uh, is a, an, an AVP at Goldman. Wow. So. wow. No, I don't really. I don't. <laughs> I have I don't a friend on death row. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all why have you, friends. Why do you have to drag us down? <laughs> Good for us. <laughs> so my, my my friend um, told me that they spent some time looking at old memos, uh, sort of digging through the archives to see what people were saying in private about this. 
And there were two justices who were just not even hiding in their personal memos and in their intra-office communications that all they were trying to do here was affirm that Bush won. And they didn't care about the legal reasoning and how they got there. Right. And they're protected in this because there's a very strong sort of cone of silence around what happens in the Supreme Court among the clerks. And, and so this is being told to me in confidence by someone who could clearly write this. And it would be maybe the most important and impactful thing they could do in their career would be to publish copies of these memos. Right. right? And right. sort of shine a light uh, on yeah, this. But I'm sure that they're doing great at the Brennan Center. <laughs> <laughs> Not at the Brennan Center. <laughs> I think it's a really important point, Michael, that the the secrecy and the ivory, (laughs) the secrecy (laughs) and the ivory tower bullshit. That's not because it makes the law better, right? It's because it serves powerful people and their interests and keeping their jobs and excelling and making money. Right. And and so that's why you need to hear from three dirtbags on a podcast that the Supreme Court's all bullshit is because the people who practice before the Supreme Court and the people who clerk for the Supreme Court and and the people who spend their life writing law review articles about the, you know, all the implications of the writings of the Supreme Court all benefit from its perceived legitimacy. That's right. They're tied up in it. Yeah. But the, the last main paragraph of this opinion is so fucking offensive because it is that lied. It is that like public image that they want about what the court does. So, quote, none are more conscious of the vital limits on judicial authority than are the members of this court. And none stand more in admiration of the Constitution's design to leave the selection of the president to the people through their legislatures and to the political sphere. Fuck you guys. Like you just yeah. right. eat shit. Today, the top Gore lawyer says the legal battle is over. We've had an appeal. We've taken that appeal. There is no appeal from the United States Supreme Court. Let's try to envision what would have happened if the if the Supreme Court doesn't shut down the recount, right? Right. It's hard to game out because there are so many different scenarios, right? Is there like the full statewide manual recount? Is something more, you know, modest uh, settled on, right? Like just undervotes and overvotes counted. Is it just certain counties? Like, do they go revert back to that? I mean, what if the Supreme Court never intervened in the first place because they had cast doubt on the Florida Supreme Court, uh, you know, a month earlier in a separate decision? And, and that sort of sent things in a weird direction. But, you know, there are scenarios where a limited recount gives the election to Gore or a full recount maybe affirms that Bush won on a very narrow vote. But again, if this all happens after the safe harbor, maybe Congress questions it. Right. Maybe the Florida legislature goes through with their plan of affirming Bush as the winner regardless of the vote. And that's it. It's it's hard. But that's that's this discrepancy is like what's important. Right. The you have uncertainty on one hand and certainty on the other, right? right. How you have the certainty of Bush winning if you halt the recount and you right. have uncertainty on the other hand. Um, and there are like a dozen proce- procedural uh, things that could have happened if the recount continued. There could have been more court cases, different court cases, right. um, more narrow court cases. But the bottom line is that there would have been some risk of Gore winning. Right. And they couldn't tolerate it. Right. They couldn't tolerate it. Right. So I think the... You know, part of the takeaway here is that Bush v. Gore was not when the Supreme Court became political. The court has always been driven by ideology, politics, and power. But 
Bush v. Gore exposed just how shallow and partisan the court's politics actually are and stripped away the veneer of impartiality and high-mindedness that the court sort of hides behind. And anyone who thinks after Bush v. Gore that the court functions as like an independent body separate from politics or that it even could function like that theoretically is just a rube, just a complete fucking sucker. Right. Right. We should talk about the alternate world we would all live in. Can you fucking imagine? <laughs> you know, there's been ton, tons of research into what would have happened, right, if you, if you like, imagine a fair election. And it's extremely right. hard to say um, because there's, there's so much bullshit going on. Like, right? you could hold everything else constant, and if the ballots in Palm Beach County are designed different, right. Al Gore wins, yes. right? That's just, like, without right. controversy at this point. Right. Um, and the question is, you know what? How different is the world we live in? Obviously, we're 20 years out. It's hard to say. But the one really significant thing is that Al Gore was the first presidential candidate, uh, I think, to ever really significantly talk about global warming. Right. <laughs> um, which at the time was like a punchline, right? Right. Just like, oh, my God, this, this fuck, he's, he's obsessed with this. Like the world's <laughs> right. like, what are you talking about, Al? You fucking nerd, you God. boring nerd. Um, let's, oh, let's see what man. the idiot has to say about this. <laughs> right. So, you know, do I think he could have like passed significant le- global warming legislation? Like what would have been necessary at the time? No, no, probably not. But – it would have been on the political radar 15 years at least before it was, right? right. Um, the other thing is that, you know, Bush gets elected and then within a year plans and orchestrates the 9-11 attacks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, we want to end this episode on, on you know, a little more of a positive note and um, – I think a, a good way to do it is, uh, you know, the five majority justices in this case were Rehnquist, Scalia, Thomas, O'Connor, and uh, Kennedy. And Kennedy. Right. And of those, Rehnquist and Scalia are dead. That's right. Allahu Akbar. <laughs> the two that I said may have been, you know. <laughs> the two worst. The the, two, I think, I think the, the two overall worst, like in terms of if you just had to measure out like who's a worse human being, they're right. the two worst. They are. You can make the argument that like Kennedy's been more damaging because like he's he's got this wishy-washy bullshit kind of vibe about him. Yeah. Right. Um, but I think in reality, if we're all being honest. The, the, these two guys have had uh, almost immeasurable harm that they've inflicted on the country yeah talk about lives. irreparable Two of harm the greatest. Huh? yeah that's right that's right <laughs> cut that um, <laughs> i know it's it's true though right like if you talk about modern era supreme court like after everyone agreed that like minorities are human beings these two guys are the worst, right? Yes. Yep. Like, there's no question. Well, and and Rehnquist. Also, I don't think they believe that, right? <laughs> yeah. Rehnquist, in particular, is like a relic of before that era, right? He was like famously a segregationist who was like not on board with Brown v. Board when he right. was uh, when he was a clerk at the Supreme Court level. Oh, so. Rehnquist is an all-time piece of shit. Yes, um, but he's dead. Yes, can't, can't <laughs> emphasize it enough. Yeah, cannot. Cannot hit that point. We're going to circle back a few times over the course of the next several episodes <laughs> about how dead William Rehnquist is. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, they finally, 20 years too late, the Democrats are talking about, you know, Supreme Court reform. So who knows? Maybe 20 years from now we'll actually have uh, some something resembling 
sanity with this. Yeah, Who I knows? think I think there's a chance. You know, um, I think it <laughs> is. A, grimacing I do, at me. Yeah, well, it's like, you just no. don't have any. It's an, no, it's an outside shot. It's an outside shot for sure. But I'm, there's, I'm not bullish on it. But I'm. Just I saying. think that the Kavanaugh <laughs> experience was like. Um, Sort of an awakening for Democrats in some regard. Whether or not they actually do anything as a result is a completely different thing. But I think right. several, like a lot of prominent, moderate establishment Democrats were able to look at that and think like this is sort of na- naked power play. Right. Um, and the you know the only question is whether they are ab- able to eventually reckon with the idea that. The proper response is naked power play and, right. not, and not trying to play semantic games or whatever and uh, nominate Merrick Garland. Right. right. Um, all right. The next episode is going to be, I think, a bit of a banger. It's yeah. uh, it's Citizens United uh, v. FEC. And uh, maybe I think maybe the, the most symbolically important case of the past decade or so. Yeah. And um, something that has sort of become the embodiment of corruption and the distinct level of inequality that we see in the in the in this modern political era. Right. Yeah, plenty of stuff to get really pissed off about in that opinion. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's a terrible case. Also one of those cases that like law students are told is actually quite reasonable, but then when you read it you're like no dude. Uh, no way. It's terrible. It's this is it's so fucking bad. It's, it's so fucking it's bad. It's really bad. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to taking a big shit on it. Yeah. <laughs> Five to Four is presented by Westwood One and Prologue Projects. This episode was produced by Katya Kunkova with editorial oversight by Leon Nafok and Andrew Parsons. Uh, we want to give a special thanks to James on Twitter at Buffalocialism for the inspiration for our name. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, James. Thanks, James. Baby James. <laughs> From the Westwood One Podcast Network.